Hey Hope Church family, so here we are jumping into Matthew chapter 7 and I get to wrap up this chapter before we uh, go into our summer. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7 and we're going to be looking at verses 28 and 29 this evening. Here's where I'm processing and where I'm coming from. The values of the church and ourselves individually must flow from the beauty and the grace of God, who is Jesus, right? The living God is so glorious and kind that he cannot be known without being adored. And and what I'm going to make the point of tonight is that this adoration must stem from reverence or what the scriptures are sometimes translated as fear, all right? And so today, here's three things I want you to kind of focus on, especially if if you're taking notes. One, the fear of God, right, is what leads us to understand Jesus's authority. Here's the second thing we're going to look at this evening. The saving grace of God, right? One aspect of what we call the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And then thirdly, I've just got some questions that that I'm asking myself and I'm asking you this evening that I hope will help us analyze our spiritual walk. I'll make this note. Psalm 145, Mm, it's just so good. Would you go and read that uh, this week, today, right? right, uh, Later in the week, doesn't matter. But Psalm 145, and of course, Matthew 7, verses 20 and 29. But Psalm 145 is the framework for this message this evening. But here's how Matthew ends chapter 7 after just writing about uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? The master uh, sermon from the master teacher. Matthew says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teacher's of the law. I'm going to pause here. Let's pray and jump in. Father God, I thank you for this time here to not just teach your word, but to be able to do this life together. I pray for those who are listening or watching this uh, this message uh, this morning, afternoon, or evening. Father God, wherever they are, Holy Spirit, would you speak into their lives, open up their hearts and minds to receive your word, and be able to implement your word, for your kingdom, for your glory. Thank you, God, for your continued faithfulness in our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So here's the thing. As we, you know, we're, we're wrapping up chapter 7, right? We'll take a break for the summer, then jump back into chapter 8 at the end of the summer. But I hope you've captured that for centuries, Matthew's gospel has been regarded as a manual for the church. His concerns were clear. He had this anxiety or this concern about the spiritual condition of the church that he knew back then and very much is still true today. Now, of course, as he wrote, he had a vision uh, to write for those that were not in the faith, but he knew that the church was the tool to evangelize the Jews, right, his people and the world. And Matthew was far from satisfied at the condition and readiness of the church to do so. And in many ways, we're still in that same 
position today. Just look at the unveiling of sin in churches and denominations, the confrontation of idolatry, the disagreements across the spectrums. Something has been lost and our focus has been on things that we enjoy and that we worship, sometimes even on things of God, but not Jesus himself. And so when we get to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and where Matthew places it, he wants us to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is a new way of seeing more for life and being more in life for the kingdom of God and for his glory. See, Jesus is not just shifting our understanding, but telling us that how, how they have been living and how we tend to live today is lacking and detrimental, right? It does not reflect the authority and leading of God in our lives. And I love how Jesus speaks and moves and interacts because Jesus proves that he is far more direct and tactful than we could ever be, yet far more understanding and compassionate than we will ever be. Which is why he ends his sermon with three different metaphors so we don't miss his message. He's warning us to check ourselves and who we are building our foundations on. See, the Sermon on the Mount ends with warnings of false prophets, right? And this is a person who speaks into life and lives and culture. It ends with fruit bearing, using God's name and covering to do as we see fit, even in good intention or opinion, but really we have no standing due to bad foundations because it's not on the authority or love of God that we are starting from. And so you look at verse 12 of chapter 7. Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So true prophets, leaders, teachers, followers of Jesus springboard from this position of chapter uh, verse 12 to engage the world. Last week, Rob read through the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I'm, question, I'm asking questions and asking you. Was it a chore? Was it annoying? Was it uncomfortable? Or did we allow the Spirit to speak to us? Was it life-giving, healing, revealing areas in our lives that need foundation inspections, fruit inspections, heart and gut inspections? Because Matthew ends chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 28 and 29, like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, preaching the Sermon of the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Why? Because Jesus was speaking directly into their souls. This is what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 uh, says to us. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so one of the questions I'm pondering and asking is, how does this sit with us? See, for the people of the day, 
Matthew says that they were astonished. Literally, meaning that they were being put into their place, shocked with panicked amazement. And so, how is it asking us, Sermon on the Mount, right, as we wrapped up, how is it asking us to see more in life and be more in life for the kingdom and glory of God? Verse 29, he, Jesus, taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Why? Because Jesus speaks with authority because he is the prophet. Jesus speaks with understanding because he is the teacher. Jesus speaks with truth because he is the judge. Jesus speaks with grace because he is the mercy of God. And Jesus speaks with knowledge because he is the word of God. Alive and active. So our concern should be Matthew's concern, which is Jesus's concern. Are we, have we, do we say, and listen closely to this, please. Do we say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? and serve that grocery giveaways in your name, and come to church in your name, and made posts in your name, fought for social justice in your name, voted in your name, but never submitted or have known the authority of Jesus' name in my personal life. See, it's not enough to be amazed and astonished though it is necessary, but how we engage life where we live, work, learn, and play after being amazed and astonished is what we need to look at. Once we have understood his authority, we are put in our place in panicked amazement. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Luke captures Jesus' sermon in chapter 12, like this, Jesus in Luke says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than these sparrows. Have you submitted to Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? See, Jesus has the authority to save and forgive sins. And he's, he's done so through the death, burial, and resurrection so that we may have salvation and right standing with God the Father. Have you submitted to that authority? Secondly, have we submitted to the authority of Jesus as our Lord or leader of our lives? 
Because if that is the case, the wrapping up of the Sermon on the Mount should stir something within us that says, Lord, help me to implement that which you have asked. Help me to see more for life and be more in life for the kingdom and glory of God. The gospel confronts us with the fear of the authority of Jesus and that God can send our souls to hell, as Jesus said, but it also shows that we are worth more than the sparrows, that we are worth eternity, which is why Jesus took on the penalty of sin and death upon himself and leads with love, compassion, and grace. If Jesus is the forgiver of our sins, then he should also be the leader of your life, which will lead us to accomplish and wrestle through Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you and I to repentance? If we are not living in a way that exemplifies that mindset and heart change, then the question remains, have you truly submitted to the authority of Jesus? Many will say, Lord, Lord, to will Jesus will plainly tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And here's the thing, as I see it, is that they are evildoers, not necessarily because they're doing evil things, all right? But get this, there's a comparison between us and who God is. So they are evildoers because their actions were done under false pretense. Maybe even good intentions, but it was not in line or submitted to the heart of God, which if it's not submitted to the heart of God, is going to bear bad fruit and really be built on rocky or unsteady foundations. So how do we build a fear that reflects the authority of Jesus first and the authority of Jesus in our lives as a true response. Here's my two points. I want to quote Michael Reeves in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. He says this, The right fear of the Lord is a high gift, not something easily acquired. And the danger of using how-to language is that we shift our focus from the fear itself to ourselves and our activities, thereby losing all possibilities of genuine fe uh, faithful fear. But the answer is this, it's a matter of the heart. We do not revere or fear, right? Or submit to the authority of Jesus out of an obligation and saving task list, right? but out of an adoration for who he is and our relationship with him. The scriptures present 
fear of God as primarily an internal matter of the heart's inclination. It describes the shape and the scale of proper Christian desire. And so Psalm 112 and verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandments. The one who fears the Lord then is not merely one who grudgingly attempts the outward action of keeping the Lord's commandment. The one who truly fears the Lord greatly delights in God's commandments. It's a matter of the heart and understanding. So it goes back to basic principles of spiritual growth and spiritual work or spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, whatever you want to call it. Because it's what James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. My second point. We must radically fall in love with the beauty, the grace, the kindness, the light who is Jesus. See, we naturally sin because we are carrying out the desires of the body, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And so we choose sin because we want that desire. Like we, we naturally love darkness, John tells us in uh, chapter 3, verse 19. So it's not enough to simply change our habits, though new habits are needed, but we must allow the Spirit of God to reshape our hearts and minds. I'll leave you with two verses. Verses out of Philippians is the first one. Therefore, my dear brothers, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And I'll end with this one, Psalm 145, verses 5 to 7. But please read the whole chapter. Psalm 145. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. When we recognize and understand the authority of Jesus and who he is, we know that while he may not be safe. He is good, as C.S. Lewis says. And we praise God that he is good. But there's an expectation of what it means to live and submit in reverence to his authority. And he's there to walk the journey with us.
It's the beauty of the gospel, his love. If you have not made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, that is the question for you to leave here today. That's the question I would love to have a conversation with you about and walk with you in that journey to the crossroads to meet and see and understand Jesus. Family, we love you. We're here for you. Let's talk about it. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for allowing us to call you God and Father. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And, and, and that you are a, a mighty God that's worthy of being feared and revered. Because it shows just how powerful and magnificent you are. And yet in that, you're so gentle and loving and understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your patience, your teaching, your, your prodding. Father God, I pray for the, the hearts and minds, the souls of those who would listen and will be listening to this message. Would you lead them gently as only you can? And allow them to understand and see next steps for making your name great in their lives and in their world. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.